The Red-Headed League by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Dramatised by Grant Eustace, with Roy Marsden as Sherlock Holmes and John Moffat as Dr. Watson. One autumn day in 1890, finding myself less busy than usual, I resolved to call upon my friend Sherlock Holmes. When I arrived at Baker Street, he was deep in conversation with a very florid-faced gentleman with fiery red hair. Ah, ah, my dear Watson, how good to see you. You could not possibly have come at a better time. I was afraid uh, you were engaged. Uh, so I am. Ah, then I can wait in the next room. Uh, not at all, not at all. Uh, this gentleman, Mr. Wilson, has been my partner and helper in many of my most successful cases. <laughs> oh, I see. I have no doubt that he will be of the utmost use to me and yours also. <clears throat> Good day to you, sir. Good morning. Uh, now, Doctor, you will remember that I remarked the other day that for strange effects and extraordinary combinations, we must go to life itself. Hmm. Life is always more daring than any effort of the imagination, I believe you said. Mm. Yes, a proposition which I took the liberty of doubting. You did indeed, but nonetheless you must come round to my view. Uh, for example, Mr. Jabez Wilson here had just begun to relate the course of events which is certainly among the most singular that I've ever listened to. Uh, has some crime been committed? Well, as oh. far as I've heard, it is impossible to say. <clears throat> uh, but the facts are unique. Uh, perhaps, Mr. Wilson, you would have the great kindness to recommence your narrative. Uh, very well, Mr. Holmes. <coughs> As the man pulled a dirty and wrinkled newspaper from the inside pocket of his greatcoat, I took a good look at him and endeavoured, after the fashion of my companion, to read the indications which might be presented by his dress or appearance. I did not gain very much, however, by my inspection. Our visitor bore every mark of being a commonplace tradesman, obese, pompous and slow. Look as I would, there was nothing remarkable about the man save his blazing red head. But Holmes's quick eye had taken in my occupation. There is little to deduce, Watson, beyond the obvious fact that Mr. Wilson has at some time done manual labour, uh, that he takes snuff, that he is a Freemason, right. that he has been in China, and that he has done a considerable amount of writing lately. <laughs> How in the name of good fortune do you know all that, Mr. Holmes? Well, that I did manual labour, for example. Is it true? Yes. Well, it began as a ship's carpenter, but... Your hands, my dear sir. Eh? Your right hand is quite a size larger than your left. Uh, you work with it and the muscles are more developed. Uh, well, there's nothing. And the uh, Freemasonry. I won't insult your intelligence by telling you how I read the first. And as for the second, you use, rather against the rules of your order, an arc and compass breastpin. <laughs> oh, yes, of course. But, but the writing. What else can be indicated by that right cuff so very shiny for five inches and the left one with the smooth patch near the elbow where you rested upon the desk? <laughs> but, um... China, Holmes. Ah, yes. Uh, well, you see, this fish tattooed immediately above the right wrist. That trick of staining the fish's scales a delicate pink is quite peculiar to China. Well, I never. <laughs> oh, thought at first you'd done something clever. But I see there was nothing in it at all. <laughs> I begin to think, Watson, my poor little reputation will suffer shipwreck if I continue to be so candid. <laughs> now, Mr. Wilson, the advertisement in the newspaper. Oh, yeah, oh, I have it here. Uh, this is what began it all. Um, you just read it for yourself, sir. Uh, 
Here, Watson. Well, uh, halfway down this column. That's the one. To the Red-Headed League. Uh, there is now another vacancy open which entitles a member to a salary of four pounds a week for purely nominal services. All red-headed men who are sound in body and mind and above the age of 21 years are eligible. Apply in person on Monday at 11 o'clock to Duncan Ross at the offices of the League, Seven Popes Court, Fleet Street. What on earth can this be about? A little off the beaten track, isn't it? You note the date? Yes, two months ago. Uh, very good. Uh, now, Mr. Wilson. Uh, as I was saying before, Mr. Holmes, I have a small pawnbroker's business at Coburg Square. It's not a very large affair, and of late has done no more than just give me a living. I would have had a job even to pay my one assistant, uh, except that he is willing to come for half wages. Oh, why should he do that? So as to learn the business. Mm. Um, what is the name of this obliging youth? His name is Vincent Spaulding, and he's not such a youth, either. Uh, but I could not wish for a smarter assistant, Mr Holmes. I know very well he could better himself and earn twice what I'm able to give him. Uh, but after all, if he's satisfied, why should I put ideas into his head? Why, indeed. <laughs> you seem most fortunate in having an employee who comes under the full market price. Mm, not at all a common experience among employers. Oh, oh, indeed. Yeah. I do know that your assistant it is not as remarkable as your advertisement. Oh, he has his faults, too. There never was such a fellow for photography. Hmm? Snapping away with a camera when he ought to be improving his mind. And then diving down into the cellar to develop his pictures. Uh, that is his main fault. But on the whole, he's a good worker. He is still with you, I presume? Oh, yes, sir. So now we come to the advertisement you've just read, Doctor. Ah. Just this day, eight weeks ago, Spaulding came down into the office with this uh, very paper in his hand. Oh, I wish to the Lord, Mr Wilson, that I was a red-headed man. Why is that? Well, it's worth quite a little fortune to any man who gets a place. If only my hair would change colour. Place? What place is this? Oh, have you never heard of the League of the Red-Headed Men? Never. Well, I wonder at that. For you are eligible yourself for one of the vacancies that the trustees have to fill. What are they worth? Oh, merely a couple of hundred a year. But the work is slight. So I hear. Well, Mr Holmes, that made me prick up my ears, for the business has not been over good for some years. So an extra couple of hundred pounds would have been very handy. Certainly. So I asked Spaulding to tell me about it. And uh, he showed you this newspaper. That's right. See for yourself, Mr Wilson. Mm -hmm. Right here. This is the address where you should apply. Extraordinary. Now, as far as I can make out, the League was founded by an American millionaire who was himself red-headed and had a great sympathy for all red-headed men. Mm. So, when he died, he left his fortune in the hands of trustees with instructions to apply the interest to providing for men whose hair is that colour. Mm. But uh, there would be millions of red-headed men who would apply. Not so many as you might think. It is confined to Londoners. Well, but you said... This man was American. Ah, but he started in London when he was young, and he wanted to do the old town a good turn. Mm. Then again, I have heard that there's no use applying unless your hair is real blazing fiery red. Rather like yours. <coughs> but perhaps it would hardly be worth your while to put yourself out for the sake of a few hundred pounds. Yeah. 
Let's not be too hasty. After all, if there is any competition in the matter of colour, I dare say uh, I stand as good a chance with my hair as any man. You would just walk in, Mr Wilson. Then I will go around to this address right away. Uh, and uh, since you know so much about this, you might be useful, so you'd better come too. Uh, but what about your shop, sir? We'll shut it up in the morning. Come along. Very well, sir. Your experience has been a most entertaining one. Huh. Don't you think, Watson? Mm. And the whole affair seems most bizarre to me. I warrant there is better to come. Pray continue with your very interesting statement, Mr Wilson. Uh, we went to Pope's Court, as the advertisement said. And I hope never to see such a sight as that again, Mr Holmes. From north, south, east and west... Every man who had a shade of red in his hair had tramped into the city and collected there. This way, Mr. Wilson. It's useless, Spaulding. Look how many there are. Ah, but none with real vivid flame-coloured scent like yours. This queue up the stairs. Never mind them. You stick close to me. Excuse me. Just let me through, would you? To one side, if you would. Thank you. At the top of the stair was an office with nothing in it save a couple of wooden chairs and a deal table. Behind it sat a small man with a head of hair that was even redder than mine. Aha! <laughs> come in, gentlemen, come in, and close the door. This is Mr. Jabez Wilson, and he is willing to fill a vacancy in the league. <laughs> and he is admirably suited for it. Let me congratulate you, sir. I cannot recall when I have seen a head of hair so fine. <laughs> However, I'm sure you will excuse me for taking an obvious precaution. Excellent, excellent. It is real. <laughs> well, we have to be careful, for we have twice been deceived by wigs. <laughs> uh, excuse me a moment. The vacancy has been filled. Now, <laughs> my name is Duncan Ross, and I am myself one of the pensioners upon the fund left by our noble benefactor. Now, uh, Mr... Uh, uh, Wilson. Oh, yes, of course, Mr. Wilson, do forgive me. <laughs> when shall you be able to enter upon your new duties? Uh, well, it is a little awkward for... Uh... I have a business already. Oh, never mind about that, Mr. Wilson. I shall be able to look after the shop for you. What would be the hours? Ten until two. Well, uh, most of my business is in the evenings, so that would suit me very well. And the pay? Four pounds a week. Ah, oh, yes. <coughs> and the work? Purely nominal. Oh, <laughs> what do you call purely nominal? Uh, you have to be in the office the whole time. If you leave, you forfeit your whole position forever. The will is very clear upon that point. It's only four hours a day. I should not think of leaving. No excuse will avail. And the work? Is to copy out the Encyclopedia Britannica. Just that? Just that. And I know you must find your own ink, pens and blotting paper, but the rest will be provided. Will you be ready tomorrow? 
if you wish. Ah, then goodbye, Mr. Wilson, and let me congratulate you once more on the important position which you have been fortunate enough to gain. Yes, well, I went home and thought over the matter, Mr. Holmes, and by evening I was in low spirits again. Mm. You must have imagined this whole affair must be some hoax. I did, sir. It seemed altogether past belief that anyone could make such a will, or that they would pay such a sum for doing anything so simple as copying out an encyclopedia. And nevertheless, you determined to have a look at it in the morning. I did. And to my surprise and delight, everything was as right as possible. Good morning to you, Mr. Wilson. Good morning, Mr. Ross. Everything is ready for you, as you can see. Now, you just start here at the letter A. Now I see, yes. And I shall drop in from time to time to see how you're getting on. And did he? For the first few days, he did. And again at two o'clock, when he complimented me on how much I had done and locked the office when I left. But not later on? By degrees, he took to coming in less. Until one day, he did not come in at all. Still, of course, I never dared leave the room, for I was not sure when he might come, and I would not risk the loss of such a billet. And were you paid as you were promised? Every Saturday, he came in and plonked down four golden sovereigns for my week's work. And eight weeks this has gone on? Yes, Mr. Holmes. I had written about abbots and archery and armour and hoped with diligence that I might get on to the bees before very long. And then, suddenly, the whole business came to an end. Huh? In what way? I went to my work as usual at ten o'clock this morning. But the door was shut and locked with this little square of cardboard tapped on it. Well, let me see. The red-headed league is dissolved October the 9th, 1890. Mm. Well, what steps did you take when you found this? Well, I was staggered, sir. I might tell you. And eventually I found the landlord and I asked for Mr. Duncan Ross. And he didn't know the man? That's absolutely correct, sir. So I described his red hair and was told... That was a Mr. William Morris, a solicitor who had been using the room temporarily. He had moved out yesterday. And was there no address for his new office? Yes, there was, near St. Paul's. But when I went there, I found it was a manufactory of artificial kneecaps. (laughs) So, uh, as I'd heard that you were good enough to give advice to poor folk who were in need of it, I came right away to you. And you did very wisely. Uh, From what you've told me, I think it is possible that graver issues hang from your case than might at first sight appear. Grave enough. I've lost four pounds a week. Well, I do not see that you've any grievance against this extraordinary league. No, on the contrary. You are, as I understand, richer by some 30 pounds. To say nothing of the minute knowledge you've gained on every subject which comes under the letter A. But I want to find out about them and what their object was in playing this prank on me. We shall endeavour to clear up these points. But first, uh, one or two questions. Oh, yes, sir. This assistant of yours who first called your attention to the advertisement, how long had he been with you? Uh, about a month, then. And he is still with you? Oh, yes. Uh, I've only just left him. Well, what's he like, this uh, Vincent Spaulding? Small, stout-built, uh, no hair on his face, though he's not short of 30. He has a white splash of acid upon his forehead. Does he now? Have you ever observed that his ears are pierced for earrings? 
Yes. He told me that a gypsy had done it for him when he was a lad. Hmm. <laughs> well, Mr Wilson, I shall be happy to give you an opinion in a day or two. As today is Saturday, I hope that by Monday uh, we may come to a conclusion. Oh, thank you, Mr Holmes. Uh, well, I should be much obliged. Good day to you. Good day. Well, Watson, what do you make of it? Oh, I make nothing of it. Oh, it's the most mysterious business. As a rule, the most bizarre thing is, the less mysterious it proves to be. But I must be prompt. Oh? What are you going to do, then? Do? Well, to smoke. Oh. It is quite a three-pipe problem, and I beg you not to speak to me for 50 minutes. Oh. Holmes curled himself up in his chair, with his knees drawn up to his nose, and sat there with his eyes closed. I had come to the conclusion that he had dropped asleep when he suddenly sprang out of his chair with the gesture of a man who had made up his mind. Could your patience spare you for a little longer, Watson? My practice is never very absorbing. Then put on your hat and come along. We travelled by the underground as far as Aldersgate, and a short walk took us to Saxe-Coburg Square, the starting point of the singular story we had listened to that morning. Three gilt balls and a board with Jabez Wilson in white letters announced the place where our client carried on his business. Holmes walked up and down the street, looking at all the houses before returning to the pawnbrokers. Here... He thumped vigorously on the pavement with his stick before going up to the door. Step inside, gentlemen. Thank you, but we only wish to ask you how you would go from here to the Strand. Ah, um, third right, fourth left. Thank you. Smart fellow, that. I have known something of him before. Evidently, Mr Wilson's assistant counts for a good deal in this mystery, hmm? You, uh, you inquired the way, merely in order that you might see him? No, not him. Oh, what then? The knees of his trousers. Oh. And what did you see? What I expected to see. And, um, why did you beat the pavement? My dear doctor, this is a time for observation, not for talk. Hmm. We are spies in an enemy's country. Now we know something of Saxe-Coburg Square. Let us explore the paths which lie behind it. The road in which we found ourselves as we turned round the corner was one of the main arteries which conveyed the traffic of the city to the north and west. It was difficult to realise that the line of stately shops, restaurants, banks and other business premises, with the immense stream of commerce flowing inwards and outwards, abutted on the other side to the faded and stagnant square which we had just quitted. Now, let me see. I should just like to remember the order of the houses here. Good. Doctor, we've done our work, and so we can be on our way. You will want to go home, no doubt. Yeah, well, it would be as well. And I have some business to do which will take some hours. This affair at Coburg Square is serious. Hmm? What's serious about it? A considerable crime is in contemplation. Hmm? Well, will you be in time to prevent it? I believe so. But today being Saturday rather complicates matters. I shall want your help tonight. Mm -hmm. At what time? Ten. Yes, uh, ten will be early enough. Right, I shall be at Baker Street at ten. Very well. Uh, and, uh, Doctor, mm -hmm. there may be some little danger, so kindly put your army revolver into your pocket uh, before you set out. Right. I trust I am not more dense than my neighbours, but I was always oppressed with a sense of my own stupidity in my dealings with Sherlock Holmes. 
I had heard what he had heard. I had seen what he had seen. And yet from his words it was evident that he saw clearly not only what had happened, but also what was about to happen. While to me the whole business was still confused and grotesque. I tried to puzzle it out, this extraordinary tale of the red-headed copier of the encyclopedia. But I gave it up in despair and set the matter aside until night should give an explanation. When I returned to Baker Street at the appointed time, I found Holmes in animated conversation with two men. One I recognized as Peter Jones, the official police agent. The other was a sad-faced man with a very shiny hat and a particularly respectable frock coat. Ah, good. Our party is complete. Uh, you know Jones, I think, Watson? Uh, oh, yes, yes, yes. Let me introduce you to Mr. Merriweather. Uh, good evening. Good evening. We're hunting in couples again, Doctor. Our friend here is a wonderful man for starting a chase. <laughs> I hope a wild goose may not prove to be the end of it. You may place considerable confidence in Mr. Holmes, sir. It is not too much to say that, once or twice, he's been more nearly correct than the official force. Well, if you say so, Mr. Jones, it is all right. But this is the first Saturday night in seven and twenty years that I've missed my game of whist. I think you will find that you will play for a higher stake tonight than you've ever done. Yeah. And for you, Mr. Merriweather, it will be £30,000. Oh, good Lord. And for you, Jones, it will be John Clay. John? The murderer? Murderer, thief and forger, Doctor. He's a young man, Mr. Merriweather, but he's at the head of his profession. Ah, and I'd rather have my bracelets on him than on any criminal in London. I've been on his track for years, and yet never set eyes on him. I hope I may have the pleasure of introducing you tonight. Oh, but it's, uh, it's past ten, and quite time that we started. We rattled through an endless labyrinth of gaslit streets with Merriweather and Jones in one hansom and Holmes and I in a second. Not until we emerged into Farringdon Street did my friend say anything. Uh, we are close there now. Um, who is this fellow, Merriweather? Hmm? Oh, a bank director and personally interested in this matter. I thought it as well to have Jones with us also. Hmm. Oh, he's not a bad fellow. <laughs> An absolute imbecile in his profession. But he has one positive virtue. Huh? What's that? He's as brave as a bulldog and as tenacious as a lobster if he gets his claws upon anyone. Ah, here we are. Huh. Oh, they're waiting for us. We had reached the same crowded thoroughfare in which we had found ourselves in the morning. Our cabs were dismissed, and following the guidance of Mr. Merriweather, we went first down a passage to a side door, and once inside, down a set of winding stone stairs through a series of massive doors, and finally into a huge vault. You are not very vulnerable from above. Nor from below. <laughs> Dear me, this floor sounds quite hollow. Shush, shush. I must really ask you to be a little more quiet. You've just imperiled the whole success of our expedition. Well, I was not to know that... Uh, might I beg that you have the goodness to sit down upon one of these boxes and not to interfere? Well, really, I'm... The solemn Mr. Merriweather perched upon a crate with a very injured expression on his face, while Holmes briefly examined the cracks between the stones with his lens. We have at least an hour before us, for they can hardly take any steps until the good pawnbroker is safely in bed. What about the lan... What about the lantern, Mr. Holmes? We must put a screen over it. And sit in the dark? Well, I'm afraid so. 
Their preparations have gone so far that we cannot risk the presence of the light. These are dangerous men. Watson, if they fire, have no compunction about shooting them down. Right. But what if they retreat? Well, they can only go back through the house into Saxe-Coburg Square. And I have an inspector and two officers waiting at the front door. So, we've stopped all the holes. Now, if you conceal yourselves behind that crate, Watson and I will stand behind these. I placed my revolver on top of the wooden case behind which we crouched, and Holmes moved the slide across in front of the lantern. We were left in pitch darkness. You gathered, Watson, that we are in the city branch of one of the principal banks. Yes, but how did you know this was what they were planning? The only possible object of their fantastic business with the League and the Encyclopedia must be to get our not-overbright pawnbroker out of the way for a number of hours each day. Mm. The fact that the man who brought the advertisement to his employer's attention worked for half wages was immediately suspicious. Yes, he obviously had some strong motive for retaining the situation. But the pawnbroking business is a small one and of no interest to criminals. So it had to be something to do with the house. Ah. Then I remembered this jewel of an assistant had a penchant for photography. Taking him regularly to the cellar. Precisely. What else could attract him there but a tunnel? As was proved when the assistant came to the door by those trousers that spoke of hours of burrowing. And then, walking round the corner, you found the bank branch right behind the pawnbroker's premises. Mm. And the fact that the league office had been closed meant that their tunnel must be complete. So here we are. And now we must be silent and wait. Yes. What a time it seemed. From comparing notes afterwards, it was but an hour and a quarter, yet it appeared to me that the night must have almost gone and the dawn be breaking above us. And then suddenly my eyes caught the glint of a light. Slowly it lengthened to become a yellow line, and then a gash seemed to open, and a hand appeared. It was withdrawn, and immediately one of the stones was turned over on its side, and a man climbed into the vault. It's all clear. A second man began to follow behind the first, and at that moment, Holmes sprang out. Sherlock Holmes seized the intruder by the collar as the other dived back down the hole. The light flashed on the barrel of the revolver, but Holmes's stick came down on the man's wrist. And the pistol fell to the floor. It's no use, Clay. You've no chance at all. So I see. But I fancy my friend is all right. Until he finds the three men waiting for him at the door. Oh, indeed. Well, you seem to have done things completely. I must compliment you. And are you? Your red-headed idea was new and effective. Now, if I could trouble you with these derbies... Uh, you can come and see your pal sooner than you thought. Come on, get a move on. Well done, Holmes. Well done. You may come out now, Mr. Merriweather. Really, Mr. Holmes, I do not know how the bank can thank you enough. There is no doubt you have detected and defeated one of the most determined attempts at bank robbery that has ever come within my experience. Mm, yes, well, I have been at some small expense over this matter, which I shall expect the bank to refund. Oh, of course, of course. Uh, but beyond that, I am amply repaid by hearing the very remarkable narrative of the red-headed league. You reasoned it all out beautifully. <laughs> well... Well, Watson, my life is spent in one long effort to escape from the commonplaces of existence. Uh, these little problems help me to do so. <laughs> <laughs>
In The Red-Headed League, by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, Roy Marsden played Sherlock Holmes, John Moffat, Dr. Watson, Sean Barrett, Jabez Wilson, Stephen Garlick, Vincent Spaulding, Edward Phillips, Duncan Ross and Peter Jones, and John Gabriel, Mr. Merriweather of the City and Suburban Bank. Music was written by Joss Sanglia and played by Joss Sanglia and Elizabeth Ferris. The Red-Headed League was dramatised by Grant Eustace and directed by Michael Bartlett for Daedalus Productions. Okay, so we have the car payment, the rent, utilities, and the repair bill. Ah, <sighs> what should we do? I know. I'm going to CashNetUSA.com. I can apply in minutes, get an instant decision, and if approved, we could have the money in our account as soon as the same business day. When you need money fast, be the hero. Go to CashNetUSA.com to apply for the money you need now. The exact timing as to when your loan funds will be available will be determined by your banking institution.